Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, episode 27. Good afternoon, Bill. How are you? Doing very well, Kurt. Looking forward to Memorial Day weekend. Yes, yes, yes. We're getting, uh, we're, we're headed to Memorial Day weekend. Kind of a first big mile marker of the baseball season, too. Uh, lots to talk about. Stuff I like to talk about, like strikeouts and pitching and bad pitching. Uh, bad starting pitching, uh, a lot of it. So first off, Garrett Cole, uh, third fat. Now, I said this early, and if you didn't listen to any of the early episodes, one of the things that I try to emphasize is anytime you're in a sport that's over a century old and you're doing something that only two players have ever done or five players, you're one of 15, you're in very rarefied air. And uh, Garrett Cole entered that company. Uh, he became the third fastest pitcher in baseball history to strike out 2,000 hitters. Third fastest, meaning he got there. Only two guys have gotten there faster than he did. Randy Johnson, 262 games, which I got the witness firsthand, and that's not a lie. Uh, and Clayton Kershaw, 277 games. Cole did it in his 278th game, and he's also the third fastest in innings pitched. Chris Sale is first, which kind of mind-boggling to me. Uh, it's 1,626 innings. Pedro Martinez, 1,711 innings did it faster than him. Uh, only the 88th pitcher in baseball to accomplish the feat, including the seventh Yankee to do it. Uh, he's uh, seventh in active players behind Scherzer, Verlander, Granke, Kershaw, Adam Wainwright, and Chris Sale. He's going to be, in context of the sport, worth every penny of the contract they gave him. He is what you call uh, and is, to me, an old-school ace, a guy who you can expect to go seven on a bad night, and anything short of that is a disaster, and that doesn't happen often, if at all, during the season. He is an outlier in every way, shape, and form, because starting pitching is going down the crapper. Lots of numbers here to... Uh... Before we move on past yeah. Cole, Kurt, what about Garrett Cole's pitching? Is special well the whole package right i mean okay. uh, you can look around at guys that have bits and pieces there are guys with better stuff there are guys that throw harder there are guys that might have a better slider there are guys who uh mentally might be able to take more uh but nobody has all of it and he has all of it and that's what a one is a one is a guy who you throw opening day who you throw in a winner go home game who you throw in game one of the world series and who you throw in a decisive game on short rest. Not a lot of those anymore because, you know, you can't count as much as I would like to a DeGrom in that because seven innings is is like a complete game for Jacob, given how he's doing with his health. You know, Al Contrera uh, is another guy who I look at as a, as a, a, a you know, kind of an old school one. Um, I mean, Scherzer, Verlander, you're not looking at 235 innings out of those guys anymore. And I don't think you're looking out of those numbers for, for almost anybody anymore. And that to me... I always felt like a number one's biggest statistic, most important statistic was was innings pitched. And that's gone the way of the dodo because of sabermetrics and because of the six-man rotation and because of the, the the openers and this not letting guys go third time around in the lineup. But I did want to mention before we get to this, when talking about his strikeout stuff, I remember a game I played with two of the best to ever play. Uh, I was the number two guy on a rotation with two Hall of Famers, which... I was more than okay with. RJ, strikeouts were a big thing for Randy. Uh, always a big thing. Getting that 10 punch out mark was a big was a big deal for him. And I know he wanted to be a part of all of the strikeout stuff. Throughout only Nolan Ryan when he finished and probably will stay there uh, forever. But I remember the night he punched out 20. He punched out 20 only one time, which is kind of amazing considering how much his stuff. But the night he punched out 20, he did it against the Cincinnati Reds and he got a no decision. He went nine innings, punched out 20, and it was like, a I think, a 1-1 game to, after nine, and he came out. 
strikeouts are awesome, but you got to get runs. Uh, but they are, I think they're one of the indicators of a dominant pitcher, being able to make hitters swing and miss. Especially if, again, the third and fourth time through, you strike out 20 guys, they're not suddenly figuring you out the third time around the lineup. They're doing the same thing they did the first and second time. And that's when you talk about Hall of Fame and, and pure stuff. And and part of the issue for me was, and we talked about this, Bill, early in the year, um, one of the things that you used to pay for, uh, I think a lot of times, and I know it was something I always recognized as a pitcher, was the matchup. You had the the protagonist against the hero, the underdog against the Hall of Famer, uh, all of those things. And a lot of times the guys like Maddox and and the reason their records were so amazing and Pedro was that the other pitchers got up to face them. I did. And I recognize, you know, hey, if I want to be recognized as one of the best, I got to beat one of the best and I got to beat the best. You know, it was going against Maddox. Oh, my gosh, we're going to have to figure out a way. And if you think about it, too, a lot of early game strategy revolved around getting one across early against the guy like Maddox or and then understanding you had to throw a shutout. That changed now because the Maddox is the world, unfortunately, you know, you're not as worried about that in the sense that you, I'm not going to see him three times around. I'm going to see him. He's going to be out after the sixth. And we have Matt bullpen matchups with our bench and stuff like that. that I don't think that that entices people to buy tickets. Um, but the bar for starting pitchers has gotten uncomfortably low. Per Sports Illustrated, here's some interesting numbers. Uh, starting pitchers this year have posted the, and again, these are pretty amazing when you're talking about a century plus old game. The fourth worst winning percentage through through today's date since 1901. 476 is their winning percentage for starters. 445 ERA. Only twice in the past 123 years have starters had this high of an ERA and this low of a win percentage on this date. In those two years, 2019 and 2020, and there are no coincidences. Starters account for only 59% of the wins down from 70% in 2014, and I can't even imagine where it is from 2000. Fewer innings obviously means fewer wins. From 2014 to this year, the percentage of quality starts, and let's be clear, quality starts are not quality starts for studs. The six innings and three runs is an ERA of 4.5, and that sucks, but that's a quality start in today's game. In 2014, it was at 54%. 54% of the starters had made quality starts during the season. Now it's at 35%. That's one out of Every three starts is a quality start, which is just, that. first of all, it's horrible. And secondly, it's not entertaining to watch. The average starting pitcher, and this is probably the biggest one, faces 22.2 batters per start. 20 years ago, it was 25.4. 30, it was 26.2. That's a full inning to two innings worth of hitters that pitchers are no longer facing. And we have, I think, sabermetrics in the uh, Ivy League to thank for much of that. By the way, Bill, I'm going to bet, and we can look this up, that all of those numbers haven't led to fewer pitchers on the disabled list. Haven't led to fewer pitchers being hurt. Haven't led to fewer pitchers having Tommy John. It hasn't led to anything positive, I think, health-wise for pitchers. In the first 1,406 starts, which is about one a little less than one-third of the season, no pitcher has thrown more than 115 pitches in a game. In a game, 2016, in all of Major League Baseball, there were 26 starts of 115 pitches or more through the same date. 115 pitches per game. No pitcher has thrown more than that this year. And since 2000, in 2016, there were 26 starts in the entire game of baseball that threw 115 or more pitches. That is absurd. Absurd. I mean, they're, they're, uh, you, I, I promise you, if you go back and look at career totals, I know 115 pitches was a start. I mean, if I threw 115 pitches, in my mind, I was throwing a complete game where I was getting you into the eighth or ninth at a minimum. And that was expected. Now it is uh, a barrier. 
which is mind-boggling to me. Um, in Verducci's article, he makes this to be a big issue. It's a big issue from a, for me as a, as a pitching coach or as, a, 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 as an organization, it's a big issue because there's still nine innings in a game. There always will be nine or more innings in a game. And if the starters are throwing less, the bullpen is throwing more. I don't think that's a, a good thing. But it is the mentality, I think, of baseball today is we need at least four starters. Our fifth guy could be an opener, and we have to have probably eight to 12 guys in the bullpen and in the minor leagues that we can shuffle in and out because people are going to get hurt because we're going to use or overuse guys and all the things that go with that. And it's at the point now where I know uh, a couple of managers that I've remained in touch with and talked to in some situations, organizations, general managers will come down before a game and tell a manager, you cannot use A, B, and C out of the bullpen today. And that blows me away. But, and the reasoning is because our numbers, our data, our stats say that A, B, and C are less efficient throwing back-to-back days or less efficient after they throw 35 or more pitches on a Monday than they would be on Tuesday and all the things that go with that. And it's also, to me, it's another huge flaw in the sabermetric system in that not accounting for the individual everybody's different. I play with a guy named Jim Corsi and Jim Corsi had the strangest throwing program I've ever been around uh, and ever seen. And the guy could throw every single day of the season and his velocity would never change. And then I played with guys who, if they threw an inning and over an inning out of the bullpen, they had to sit for three days. Obviously part of that is body composition. We talked a lot about that, how some players' bodies are built differently than others. But also I think a huge part of that is mental strength. Uh, I think there are guys who are very weak will come out of a game because they feel something. Uh, and then there are guys who won't come out of a game if they're cut in half. You know, those two guys exist in the same game doing the same job. And you're going to get very different results from both of them throughout the course of a week, a month and a season. Right. I mean, there, there are, uh, you know, now we've gotten away from, there's almost no longer with the new rules out of the bullpen. There's no longer that left-handed specialist guy for the most part, because you have to face a certain number of hitters coming out of the bullpen. What is it? Three, you have to face three hitters yeah. coming out of the bullpen and lineups will just turn guys around. It's also why versatility has become insanely valuable in major league baseball. It's always been valuable, but guys like, and I've said his name before, Dalton Varsho, who can play five positions and offensively he can get after it. He becomes an immensely valuable guy because hitting from the opposite side, being a guy who can come in and not just hit, but you know, I think back in my day, and we're actually going to mention a couple of these guys, but guys like Frank Catalanato and and uh, Dave Hansen and uh, John Vander Roberts, Bip Roberts, but but guys that would come off the bench and were legitimate threats. Because because I need to be very clear, if I've never I've never probably said this before, pinch hitting in baseball is one of the toughest jobs on the planet. It is incredibly difficult to do, and not no check that it's not incredibly hard to do. It's incredibly hard to be good at. And it takes a very special player. One of the best I ever saw and played with was a guy named Kevin Jordan, um, who was a he was a 10th guy. Uh, I think physically he was probably not a guy that could have played every day. Uh, I think he'd be the first to admit that. But uh, in multiple different roles each week, he was a super player. He could play a couple positions, but and he was always prepared for an at-bat. And also with the change in the rules with the DH and everything, you're seeing the pinch hitter devalued in a sense. And in, in, in that in the National League, it was always something that you, pinch hitters started getting ready in the fourth or fifth inning because they knew they would be seeing an appearance probably uh, late in the game. They knew what pitcher they might be seeing um, and what situation they might be used in. That's not 
change drastically. But the fact of the matter is it's pitch hitting appearances are, are and I, I'm going to bet, and I don't have empirical stats, but I'm going to bet they're way, way down because you're starting your best nine offensively. And the game has proven that the mentality is put our best nine players on offense out there and hide the guys that suck on defense. And I, I don't think that, that that's necessarily a, the best winning approach, but that's the approach we're looking at. Also, and just to, to note on the pitching, uh, the Dodgers, Rockies, Royals, and Tigers, all of them have five starting pitchers on the injured list. We're going to come up with some numbers in, later on uh, as it relates to, we talked about this, Bill, early in the year, the WBC pitchers and the injured list. And we're going to see if, if, if I was remotely close to predictions, which is the guys that pitch in the WBC – it's very, very challenging for them to A, stay healthy, and B, have a good year. The numbers are going to play out to what you predict. I really, I think they will. DeGrom, Urias, Rodon, Max Fried, Brandon Woodruff, Robbie Ray, Walker Bueller, and Jinru all are on the, those are, that's a five-man all-star rotation. That's a five-man rotation to rival anybody's. Uh, those guys are all on the injured list with varying degrees of, of, nicks cuts and bruises uh, i don't think it's good for the sport but it doesn't matter because i gotta tell you bill the feedback from fans has been overwhelmingly positive in terms of game time the games are being played a whole lot faster and fans seem to enjoy that and well that i think one of the other downsides to all of this kurt is fans recognize starting pitchers names they know who to look for they used to starters yeah. well you used to know all five starters Yep. of your home team I can still heart. name – do you remember the early 70s A's? Yeah. Mike Norris, Steve McCaddy, Rick Langford, Vita Blue, uh, and there was another one in there. Uh, but those guys threw – every one of them threw like 30 complete games. Billy Correct. Martin ruined them. Correct. But, like, I remember those rotations. I remember the I remember the Pirates in the 70s with Candelaria and Blass, Bruce Keeson, uh, Jim Bibby, Jerry Royce. I mean, those were in the modern day, right – if I, if I ask you to name me trios and duos of games, you're going to say Judge and Stanton, Ramirez and Ortiz. You know, very rarely are you going to have come out with a pitching trio like a Verlander and Scherzer. Well, I mean, Randy and I were for a couple of years. Uh, and? and then you had Cl Clemens and Pettit, uh, Ryan and C. I mean, th those just aren't anymore. Well, and name, tell me any of the middle relievers on any of those teams. No, yeah, you no. can't. Or the, well, tell me, you know what? It used to be you could go, wow, Rivera, Gagne, Trevor Hoffman, uh, uh, Billy Wagner, uh, uh, all of these closers were a thing. Now, right. now name, mm -mm. name me one guy. I don't want to uh, uh, offend him because I'm not meeting him, but like, Mariano Rivera was the class of closers. And then there was the Hoffmans who was right there, Hall of Famer and the Wagners and whatnot. But you don't have that anymore. Not the closer much, is, no. the, is, the, is the unicorn now, you know, but, but in saying all of that, the one thing I have thought, uh, and I saw Tito do it uh, with uh, Miller a couple years back is the stopper. The guy that comes in, he's your best reliever and you see him in the sixth inning or the seventh inning. Cause it's four to one. The bases are loaded. There's one out. You bring in your best pitcher, get out of the inning, you win the game nine to one. He doesn't generally get recognition, but that's your stopper. That's your closer. That's where you won the game. I do like and agree with that, having that guy. I would like to have my closer because here's the thing. I say this and I I, I can't emphasize this enough and fans love to poo-poo this, but getting three outs in the ninth inning is different than any inning in the game. I had my differences with Mitch Williams. I had He was, as uh, you know, the teammate in my career that I didn't get along with probably the most. I couldn't get through. I tried it. I was a closer early in my career. I didn't have the ability to forget a blown save. And Mitch did. And and it just, it's different. It's, it's mandatory in their makeup. 
Here's the thing I try to explain to people. If you pitched in October, you can understand what I mean. If not, it, it's hard. Getting three outs in the ninth inning of a close game is like getting three outs in the postseason. Every at-bat in the postseason, the hitter is taking a ninth inning one-run game approach. Every at-bat from the first inning on. In the regular season, it's different. They're not. They can't. It's that You don't have the physical or mental ability. It wears you up. Greg Jeffries, I said this earlier, Greg Jeffries and Kevin Euclid are two guys, in my opinion, whose careers were shorter than they could have been because mentally they were so hard on themselves after an out, and you're going to make 400 outs a season. You just can't do that. But they wore every bat on their sleeve, and I think it was hard on them, uh, much harder than it should have been. There are other guys like Manny. Jesus, I didn't know if Manny hit a five-run homer or punched out on three pitches looking after his at-bat. That gets back to the mental makeup. But I think you're talking about just – it's just a very different game now. And that's not to say it's worse or, or you know – because I, I, you know, I swore I wouldn't be that get off my lawn old guy, and I'm not. I, the game is still some of the most athletic human beings that have ever walked the face of the earth. They're standing on baseball fields around this country, and they're 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 worth paying to watch. One of them who's worth paying to watch, who's absolutely sucked. His words, not mine. Trey Turner. And again, I keep going back to the fact, and I say this, Bill. Guys uh, are going to end up where they're supposed to end up at the end of the year. Trey is struggling. The Phillies are 22 and 25 which has them in fourth, and he was the big addition. And here's his quote. I'm honest with myself. I've sucked, Turner told ESPN after a 6-3 loss to Arizona uh, on Monday. Four home runs, 11 RBIs, hitting 256, 303 with a 390 slugging percentage. Those are all career lows if the season ends today. The season doesn't end today. Trey Turner is going to be fine, people. He may not be a 320, 405 550 slugger this year, but he's going to have his home runs. He's going to do his thing. He's going to be a presence in that lineup. Um, he was one of the four big shortstops this winter with Bogarts, Correa, and Swanson to get, you know, multi-hundred million dollar deals. And Wednesday um, night, he tied it up in the ninth and put him into extras. Like you great. said, he's going to be fine. If you're playing fantasy baseball, buy low. Bill, your question was, was interesting. What was life like uh, and what did you do when you came against hard times on the field? How much does playing badly consume a player? 99% of the players, it devours you. It occupies. Here's the thing. Here's the big difference between uh, position players and pitchers in addition to all the other stuff. When I struggled as a starter on Monday, I had to suck on it till Friday or Saturday. I had to wait four days after a horrible outing, just reliving that thing in my head. And, and this, there's a progression. When you're a young player, it was, and my wife will testify, miserable four days in my home. I didn't kick my dog. Uh, I'm an animal lover. I wasn't physically violent. I was just a miserable person. And I think there are some times when my wife was like, listen, just lash out because I can't watch this anymore. Grumpy, feeling sorry for myself, miserable. And you learn as you get older, number one, it's incredibly selfish because there are 24 other guys playing a game for four consecutive days other than you. Your game's over. And as you get older, you learn to re you realize that. And, and I can remember, Bill, a very, very pivotal time in my career. In 1993, I pitched against the Colorado Rockies, and I get, went five innings, and I gave up five runs, pitched horrible, and I got the win, and we won. And after the game, I was miserable. And I was miserable to the media, blah, blah, blah. And I remember Darren Dalton pulling me aside and saying, what are you doing? I'm like, what? He goes, are you that selfish? And I, I didn't. And he's like, we won the game, dude. And I was like. Oh yeah, that that is selfish, isn't it? And 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 it and it's selfish in the sense that I'm I'm mad because I didn't do well, but we won. And as I got older, life became a lot easier because on Monday when I pitched bad and we won, I was good. The only time that ever ever I ever felt that early in my career was in the postseason. And if you think about it, it's I pitched horrible in game one of the, we lose game one of the World Series. 
I'm not upset and mad at game two because we have to win game two. And that's a postseason mentality. And that, that you eventually get to that in the regular season. But it's a selfish thing. And I learned early in my career that it was selfish. And, and I, after that, I realized that he obviously was 100% right. Dave Hollins was another guy who came up to me after that and said, dude, we won. And, and it's funny because Dave learned that same lesson himself that year from the same guy. Dutch, after he, you know, he, Dave went 0 for 4. We lost the game and he had a bad game and he was miserable. We won the game. And Dutch was like pissed. And he had every right to be that. But again, that's what a leader does. And as you get older, that's what you do. And you rarely see young players with that mentality. Time to um, get to your uh, top five hitters that you yeah. fit, that you hated facing the most. All right. So I honestly didn't have to even really do any studying or look this up because it was pretty obvious, pretty easy. And and uh, and because they, I remembered them. I remembered them just because I can remember the at-bats. Uh, I always say Todd Helton and Derek Lee were the worst ever for me right-handed. Helton hit only hit 333 off me, but it, it was in 54 at-bats, and he hit five homers and had six doubles. I don't remember the guy ever hitting a single off me, I swear to God. And it was a hard 333. And by that, I mean, I can remember in Colorado, we were playing them in the old uh, in, when Coors Field first got built, and I threw Todd Helton a 97-mile-hour fastball, like chin music, got him off the – I had to get him off the plate. And on the next pitch, I came back with a 98-mile-an-hour high fastball. Left-handed hitters by nature are low-ball hitters, just as the progression of their swing, the way your, phys- the way your body is, is made up physically. is, is And it, it all has to do with your core and your rib cage and, and the way everything sits in your body. Left-handed hitters naturally have a better swing at the, ba- the ball down, and they're natural low-ball hitters. Generally don't hit the high ball. I threw a 97, 98-mile-an-hour high fastball. Todd Helton got on top of it. Hit it, and I remember seeing Rico Brony at first base jump for the ball, and the ball hit off the fence in right field. On a line, it didn't go up or down. It just went through the field, and literally my right fielder, my left fielder, my right fielder was like just turning when the ball, it was hit so hard that it hit the wall before he was 10 steps out of the box. And I remember thinking that's the hardest ball any human has ever hit, not just off me, but ever in the history of the game. Uh, but he crushed me. Derek Lee, uh, I can't, some guys, I just can't answer it. He saw the ball. Well, he was 11 for 26, five of those 11 were home runs. And, and I remember, I'll never forget John Vukovic, one of my hu- greatest human beings ever was said something to the effect of, you know, Hey, let's mix in a curveball. I threw a curveball. He had a home run. And I remember this is typical Vuk. I threw a curveball, good curveball. And and he hit it out of the ballpark. And after the inning, I said, yeah, there was a curveball. He goes, yeah, but that wasn't a good one. Like, I told you to throw the pitch. You didn't throw it exactly where I wanted it, so it was a bad pitch. But I remember just kind of ca- uh, giving up. Frank Catalanato, uh, for those that remember, wore me out. He was hit 500 off me in 22 at-bats, I think. Just ate me alive and and, and was, was uh, a beast against me. Early in my career, these next two names uh, might shock you. Right-handed guys, Marquise Grissom and Mark Lemke. Uh, Grissom hit three, only, only 330, but it was in 94 at-bats. I couldn't get him out. And, and Mark Lemke hit, was 15 for 31 off me. And I think he had four career homers. Two of them were off me. Um, and if you remember that old Braves lineup, uh, and I played against Mark coming up in the minor leagues. Phenomenal guy. Phenomenal baseball player. And very much a Dustin Pedroia before there was a Dustin yeah. Pedroia. Not as, not as offensively talented. Raked me. And the two things that those guys have in common would be what, Bill? Not big hitters. Not big hitters. Yeah. Not, not big guys. guys. Yeah. I learned, and I, it was a hard lesson for me to learn because in, 
and it makes sense when you think about it, small hitters, short hitters, Dustin Pedroia, Jose Altuve, if you can't hit the high fastball, you can't play in the big leagues because every fastball, for the most part, is up in your zone as a small hitter. And when you get the big leagues, they can all hit it. And so being a power guy, and, and you know, I think my early mentality was, here's a little guy. He's a little guy, so I'm going to give him big stuff. And it was the exact – they could all hammer the fastball. And I learned the hard way that – Catalanado wasn't in. big. Huh? Catalanado wasn't no, big. No, 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 no. He was just a – I thought he was a much more talented hitter than he ever got credit for. He was a tremendously good player. Um, and and along the lines of good players, I think this, this – uh, speaks volumes you know i don't know if if he's telling the truth i tend to believe he is uh on tuesday night uh mike trout hit his 361st home run i think yeah 361st home run over boston there were times and, and i'll go back in, on a personal note there were times in my career when i did something and someone would say hey you did something so so uh in the 93 playoffs against the braves i struck out the first five hitters of game one and after the game someone told me that only i think it was nolan ryan and carl hubble had ever done that. Um, and so I was like, oh my God, you know, because I knew the game and I know Mike knows the game very well. Um, his 361st home run tied in with Joe DiMaggio. And I got to believe as a hitter, anytime someone says DiMaggio or Mantle or Musial or Aaron or Ruth, uh, uh, as far as company goes, you're, you're, you're feeling it. And I say it again, I, I believe he's going to be the most talented player anybody alive ever sees. Uh, he didn't un- know that until after the game when Mickey Moniak told him uh, in the clubhouse. And he said, it means a lot. Anytime you pass or tie a great or even just be in the same conversation with a great player, it's really special, especially another center fielder. And, and you know, I love the guy. I, I, I uh, you know, he he's he's only hitting 275, uh, which is his lowest average through 46 games. And his, his strikeout rate is up at 27.3%, which and this is the most amazing number for me, Bill. Uh, it's the second highest strikeout rate in his 13-year career. 13. Mike Trout has been in the big leagues for 13 years, which means I think he turned 22 this week because um, he got to the big leagues when he was like nine. Three-time MVP, probably should be a five-time MVP, honestly. He'll end up where he's supposed to end up. He'll end up around 300, 30 homers, 100-some RBIs, 420 on-base percentage, and everything about that. that. Mike Trout will be Mike Trout. So I think that's probably good for this one. I think, I think so too. We've got enough. We are going to uh, check back with you guys on Monday. Next Tuesday. Next, next Tuesday. Tuesday. But uh, you guys have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And we're going to try and see our families enjoy our time and, and uh, have a great one, guys. God bless. Outkick.com and Spotify, the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Take care, guys. Have a great weekend, Billy.